everybody out there in the galaxy, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the details of that galaxy far, far away. We're going to talk about characters, concepts, things, stuff, and specifically today, animals, because I'm Mac, <laughs> one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my fellow game warden, Ross. Mac, it is great to be here today. We are keeping the Lothcats in their crates. They are staying nice and calm. Um, we are making sure just, just none accidentally shake. gets set off to Batuu to be cooked up. Oh, Careful don't, with that. Don't shake them either. <laughs> no, they do not like that. They and do don't get them like in that. water. They're cats. They don't, <laughs> unless they're a tiger, they don't like being and in water. don't feed them after midnight. Let's see, am I forgetting anything else? And also, uh, be careful with these wolves. They're huge. <laughs> We're going to be talking about yes. Loth... Animals. Animals, yeah. Uh, basically, we were uh, talking about a few different mystical things at the end of the year, mm-hmm. and we decided that one of the, the things when we were writing the show list is like, we should go back and talk about these things. They're super fascinating, especially after ones have showed up in different media. So we're going to focus in on the the animals of the world Lothal as presented originally in Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, I think we'll have some fun things to say. They're a little bit unique in their sort of sense of the gra- in the greater Star Wars puzzle. So uh, it'll be a nice change of pace, something we haven't talked about before. Things might get just a touch mystical before we're all in. So put your philosophy caps on and join us right after this. of Star Wars Rebels, we mm-hmm. get to know a lot about the planet Lothal. We uh, we get to see a lot about uh, its place in the galaxy because it's like as far outer rim as you can get with still being within the trade routes of the civilized world. Um, we get to understand about its economy and how it's really good at building TIE fighters. <laughs> um, and one of the other things we get deep into is the wildlife unique to the planet Lothal. Something we don't uh, get to spend time with on every planet, but is one of the most interesting things about Star Wars. You know, there have been um, everything from, of course, stuff like the, you know, the Wampa and uh, the mm-hmm. Exocorth, the, you know, the Space Slug. We've got, uh, yeah, I know, right? The Minox. We've got, I'm, I don't know why I can only think of things from one movie right now. But we've got, you know, tons of examples from out there in Star Wars. And... Um, it's interesting because Lothal gives us two that are a little bit unique in the fact that they may have some different motivation than uh, than we typically see. You know, when we see an animal, um, I guess with the exception of uh, the Dianonga on the Death Star, uh, <laughs> they're not typically force sensitive or uh, connected to the force. 
But we're starting to get into here some animals that may have some motivation, whether it's their own because they are tuned into the force or it's the force acting through them. Right. You know, we're seeing some some unique things on this planet. And we're also seeing animals work together in ways that are sort of unique through the force. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. It's Lothal's an interesting place because obviously it was the setting of Rebels and we spend especially the first season all of our time there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because it's trying to invoke a handful of influence. It's like Tatooine in the sense of it's kind of off the beaten path. It is the outer Relatively rim. barren if you're not in the city. Right. It's a frontier planet. Um, but the thing we also get established pretty early is drawing from some of the motifs they use because a lot of its look comes from unused stuff for Alderaan, like especially like those large um, kind of like domed uh, geographic or mm-hmm. uh, geological things that they have, those um, kind of so dunes. There's like that, like, yeah, the they're like um, almost like you'll see like um, it's they're created on beaches when they like freeze and then the the wind blows in. It's like pillars of sand. Um, Solo had sort of a variant on the same type of thing. Those like sand pillars at the end. Um, But what's interesting here is you've also got like the, so you've got all the wildlife, like there's a Jedi temple on Lothal. Um, But there's also the cities are a little bit more, you know, they're not quite Tatooine in the sense that they are desolate and run down in the same way they're a little bit more modern obviously there's the big modern imperial you know complex in the middle of the city um but for the most part we see that it is like you said a frontier town because at the end of rebels spoilers alert (laughs) we see a time jump forward and see how the city has progressed yeah because i was gonna say because if tatooine is like new mexico arizona of the american expansion this is kansas like this is farmers and just planes and mm-hmm. waving weed. And the thing we get to see is um, it's connected to the force. There's a Jedi temple that's been there. There's Je- there's Jedi Sith artifacts, stuff that probably predates the Jedi Sith, specifically a wall mural that becomes a portal to a different dimension. Anyway, the point <laughs> is yeah. this place is wired up to the force. And the first time we start seeing the wildlife kind of connect is we see loth cats mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. prey, loth rats. <laughs> I forgot about the loth rats. That's the third one you were talking about. Yes. Yeah, the loth cats, something that pops up, you know, early on in season one of the show. And we see them all throughout the show. And now they have popped up in other areas of yes. Star Wars. We've seen them in the Bad Batch. We've mm-hmm. seen them in live action in the Mandalorian. Uh, I think we saw them in Boba Fett too recently, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're seeing them pop up not only um, you know, in animation, but in live action and on other planets. So this mm-hmm. is not a species that only makes its home on Lothal. We assume that's where they're from, but they're a um, unique species that have many different patterns and color variations. You know, mm-hmm. they don't all look the same. We're going to talk about a few different, maybe colored specific ones today, yeah. but they are, um, are they the first time we've seen a cat quote unquote in the star Wars universe? Yeah. I'm going to say yes. You, one could argue a Nexu from mm-hmm. the uh, episode two is kind of a cat, but mm-hmm. I I would put that more like cat. This is definitely the first domesticated style cat I can think of in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Not including like, I don't mm-hmm. know, Marvel mm-hmm. Comics might have had something, but you, who knows? I know how you feel about those. I would say there's Chancellor So's 
lion-like cats in the High Republic oh, now. Oh, that's true too, yeah. But those are newer than Lothcats. Um, because yeah. what a Lothcat is, is a Lothcat is about the size of a house cat, give or take, but it's yeah. much more rounded. It's yeah. kind of a bulkier yeah. thing, which is... I would say they're bigger than your average house cat. They definitely, I think... Yeah, they seem coo- like... Yeah, Well, the yeah. problem is... I, let's put it this way. I would put their 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 bodies have about the same volume as like a basketball. Like... Ah. Yeah, their head they're does. Because yeah, they're very basketball. rounded. Yeah, they are um, very, very round, yeah. Um, and then they have these... Yeah, and there's interesting, like, sort of avian features in them. Because, okay, so you've got... Yeah. Take, like, a bobcat. Because it's yeah, got a, a very... Good start. It's got a very, like, jungly kind yeah. of bobcat kind of, like, yeah. pattern to it. It's not yeah. just house cat, like, ginger yeah. or calico. And give it a mouth like Pac-Man. I was going to say, it's got a very large maw that can open really, really wide. And its lips can kind of pull back pretty far. Because when we yeah. see they hiss or they get... Uh, aggressive they tend to have this entire scrunch to their face Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they've got these beady little eyes just these little tiny beady little eyes um relatively large but rounded ears um and barely a nose to speak of there is one but it's tiny very yeah very flat faced and then the weirdest part about them to me is the fact that they're at least their four limbs are Birds, like raptor birds, these clawed kind of almost armored, almost like chitlin kind of like hands. And they're just these little spindly things that's holding up this little blob. (laughs) They're a very fun, I mean, relative, I mean, 2015 when Rebels started, not necessarily new anymore, but Mm. they're they're a really fun addition because we see them in many different scenarios. We see them just as set dressing. We see them, you know, being used to do things like uh, distract troopers or droids stuff like that Mm -hmm. you know we see them as like um you know false red herring stuff like oh there's a sound over there it turns out it was just the locked cat you know so we see them do lots of different things and then as the show moves on and progresses towards the end Mm -hmm. we start to see them interact with other animals on the planet and besides mac you called out the loth rats was it right yeah so loth rats are are this planet's womp rats they're rats that are a little bit big and they're what loft cats go and eat. I don't remember seeing those. I didn't even think Uh, about those. Where, where do those pop up? Do you happen to remember? It's actually, it's actually one of the first, it's one of the early appearances early of the Lothcats when you're seeing them like in the alleyways. And okay. Stuff of the yeah. I don't remember that one. That's funny. Yeah. It's okay. But like Womp Rats, they, they've yeah. got a little more like almost a kangaroo body yeah. <laughs> rather than a traditional like rodent body. Yeah. That sort of makes them different. It's fun how much Womp Rat stuff we've seen with Book of Boba Fett, isn't oh it? Oh my gosh. Yes. Like if you're a Womp Rat diehard, like you have been satisfied. You, you could see the Womp Rats yeah. that you would bullseye in Beggar's Canyon now. Yeah, if if you have a Beggar's Canyon tattoo or like a Camion Fixer obsession, like you were, we, hey, like just, you have really are eating good lately. I would say we're only really missing one thing from Beggar Canyon going back into canon is we just need to see the Stone Needle. That's all we need to see, <laughs> and then we've got it all. Yeah. Um. And 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 actually to that point, like I think that's an interesting <laughs> thing about Lothcats is they are. Like I said, they've got these really sort of like avian arms and legs, and they got this mm-hmm. big kind of poofy tail. They seem more like they'd almost belong in a desert than here. So I'm curious if maybe the colonists brought them with them more. Like, yeah, what if, what if Lothal is named after its wildlife, not the other way around? 
Wouldn't that be weird? That would be a really fun twist. I'd like that. I mean, anything's possible in uh, in the world of Star Wars. I just find out like Lothan is like high galactic for um, I don't know life, and Lothal means life place. What would you if you're from the planet of Lothal? Are you a Lothalan, a Lothalian, a Lothlin? What are you? I almost feel a like a Lothaler. They... I almost want to go watch through Rebels all now and just go see, like, so how many times did they dodge that bullet by saying, people of Lothal, without actually having to make a decision about that? <laughs> That's big picture stuff. No one um, no one on the ground-making floor was able to make that decision. I, I, you, know what, you know what they should be? What? Loth beans. If we've got the Loth cat, the Loth rat, <laughs> the beings that live there are Loth yeah. beans. Yeah. Easy enough. That's what Ezra is. He's a Loth human. Uh, I like a loth that. man. A loth. Uh, yeah, that's it. You nailed it. You got it. Which brings us to the third big animal we need to mention. Loth rats, not much to talk about. Loth cats, the biggest thing about them is not only are they very ubiquitous through all rebels, but they're the one that's creeping out into the greater galaxy. Yeah, they're great. I think it just about everyone lost their mind when we're in uh, the cantina on Sargano and there's, un- what's that underneath the chair? A ticked off loth cats <laughs> the absolute best and my favorite part about it is like it's realistic looking but it kind of reminds me of when like detective pikachu came out of like <laughs> like no biology should have never created this thing this is definitely a kid's drawing that has been turned into a real photorealistic animal and it's kind of like unsettling fair. in a good way it is uh, of like you look at that thing and you're just like no you shouldn't exist but you're right there you do exist Especially because they got like, they got this, like I said, like they got a, you know, head a little bit smaller than a basketball, but their eyes yeah. are about the size of like raisins. Yeah. They're so tiny. <laughs> yeah, they are. Oh, you're cracking me up today. Um, But I, I think those are the big ones. But I think the ones that have the most interesting threads to them is the Loth Wolf. Yeah, I mean that's that's really what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Um uh as fun as the Lothcats are and as much as uh we love them here. Uh the Lothwolves are really the the meat of uh of what we're going to discuss and um the reason being they they're a very interesting thing in Rebels and uh yes. in the show because they are mentioned a few times throughout the first few seasons, but they don't pop up until like halfway through the last season of yeah. the show. And they start off kind of small. Basically, Ezra is sort of seeing them off in the distance. Um, there's an episode basically where the first appearance of the Lothwolf, uh, I actually went back and rewatched. They, they appear in like seven, eight episodes in the final season. And I went re- back, back and rewatched about five or six of them for this. Mm-hmm. And um, so the first episode, they are testing, you know, Thrawn has just arrived on Lothal with Governor Price. They are testing the new TIE model. And basically, Sabine and Ezra are there to try and steal the TIE fighter along with uh, Zeb. And uh, basically, they get seen. And while Ezra is sort of distracted, there's he, he's distracted because he's like seeing a Lothwolf off on the horizon. Right. And then later in the episode, it actually carries him and Sabine back to base. And yeah. this is the first time we see them. And it gives us a lot of questions to ask. Yes. Because we see them do so many things. So first off, let's talk about what the Lothwolves look like. Mac, can you Mm kind of describe them, paint a picture for us? I think the best way to think about a Lothwolf is take a more standard kind of Kanan, you know, uh, wolf from our world. And 
first off, just double the size, triple the size, depending on how you want to do it. Basically, their shoulder height is about five and a half, six feet. So they're, they're very large. They're big boys. Um, also, take its head and make it a little bit longer and a little bit like bulkier. Mm-hmm. Um, the these headings have very, very conical, big and, heads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically paint them in somewhat stranger colors. They have a lot of like whites and almost like violets and greens in some of their pelts. Yeah. Um, they're they're a little strangely. It's not like neons or anything like that. They're still fairly naturalistic. But yeah, they weren't like, painted by Sabine. They, they're more like uh, like Arctic wolves that have picked up a few colors here and there. Like, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the other things that's uh, about them is, like I said, they're very, very expressive. They have these fairly, because they're enlarged heads compared to what we normally think of yeah. as a wolf, they have fairly large and expressive eyes for a dog type creature. Yeah, they do. Most of the wolves have yellow, very piercing yellow, almost like a black cat type of eyes, what you yeah. normally see. But then there is one particular one we'll meet a little bit later that we'll talk about that has sort of these uh, more like light sky blue eyes. Yes. And so we'll talk about that a little bit here. Um, they also have sort of some like, um, how would you describe them? Almost like... um. I don't even know what you'd call it, but you know on the underside of like a dog or a cat, what their like paws are, that material, they almost have like... The leather of their paws. Yeah, they almost have like markings like that on their like sort of cheek whisker areas and Mm. and foreheads, some of them do, the Lothwolves. They have like these like like padded looking areas on their faces. So yeah, the the patterns that they have on their face, which I... Okay. Behind the scenes. That's so we can tell them apart a little bit. Of course, like, yeah. So they have a little bit easier character, but they're almost more like the patterns you find on like on a jaguar than it would be like a wolf. There's yeah. just these lobes of like differentiated um, fur that are usually in these sort of soft, rounded kind of kidney-shaped patterns around so them. So on their foreheads, absolutely. But I'm talking about they have like... Have, did you do you know what I mean? They have these like 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 by their snouts almost like between their snouts and their eyes. These little patterns. Yeah. Well, but they're like the patterns. I feel like are above the eyes. Okay. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to talk about it and go back and look closer. But I just was noticing that it was like um. Well, we'll talk about. I don't want to give too many spoilers away here. We'll go to that in a minute. Well, but there's just these little facial features yeah and it's just meant to make them expressive Uh, but they're also expressive in other ways because as we learn here in the first interaction with them and as we'll see in later episodes they can also speak and Mm -hmm. perform for lack of a better word magic or maybe it's using the force let's discuss it so the first Mm -hmm. time a lothwolf comes over to Ezra and Sabine is with him. The Lothwolf, Sabine turns around, sees it, and the Lothwolf comes up close to her and basically opens its mouth, says, we hear it speak, says the word yep. sleep, and you see sort of like um, what I would describe as like a powder, you know? It's like mm-hmm. it's like a, he's anthraxing Sabine, you know? She's uh, basically, <laughs> she passes out, they get on the wolf's back, and he takes them back to their camp. So what's happening here, Mac? What are we seeing? Do we think this is the wolf using the force? I mean, this does very much seem like a force entity, these loth wolves. Well, the tricky thing with with the wolves is they're almost always presented in a dreamlike way in the sense that it's they're always living on that edge of uh, is this a vision that one of the characters is having? 
like through the force or through weariness or through whatever, or is this something that's actually occurring? And because of that, it gets pretty tough to be definitive on what they're doing. Like for instance, it's pretty easy to dismiss of like, no, 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 wolves can't speak basic. Even though that one did, I must be high. That must be a much more reasonable answer. Or I connected it through the force. Or maybe they do and they just don't like to talk to people. <laughs> um, I, I think it is, by the end, squarely established. These are agents of the force. Yeah. And much like, I would say, kind of in a vein of like the Bendu. Yeah. Are, are beyond your concepts of good and evil. They are not one or the other. They are just servants of the force pushing it and prodding it where it needs to be and be, you know, flotsam on the galactic currents of, of the, the magic of reality. Like, so, cause they show up with supernatural timing. Like you said, they seem to have these magic gifts whenever they are, whenever they need them. <laughs> Later on, there'll be a moment where they are transporting a, a whole group of people, Ezra, Zeb, Hera, Sabine, all back to their base, and they uh, essentially disappear into a fill field. It's actually this really cool camera movement where yes. you're sort of like pulling, the camera's pulling back, and you're watching them ride towards you, and as they sort of approach the camera, the camera pulls up above them, and it's like they fade into the waving grass. It's very Field of Dreams. It's very, very cool stuff, especially for animation. So there's, you know, we see these sort of, like you talked about, Mac, these sort of essences of the Force sort of touching these wolves, and the whole kind of concept of them is as they are guiding Ezra on his journey after mm -hmm. Ezra has lost his teacher, they are here to guide him. And later on, after Kanan has gone, one of the wolves presents himself to Ezra and actually speaks with him more presents himself with the same name as his teacher uh, mm -hmm. is much larger than the other wolves we were talking about has blue yes. eyes instead of yellow. Yep. So there is a lot to talk about here about like, yes, this is maybe the spirit of a Jedi or this is maybe some other force like power similar to the force ghost power that Gwygon discovers. And this is some other variant of it. Obviously there's a whole nother layer to it because Ezra has a special bond with animals through the force yes. that not every Jedi does. So there's a whole lot going on here that we don't really know everything about, but it's worth pointing out because as these wolves show up more and more in this show, they keep getting sort of tied down to more mystical elements of Star Wars yes. because the one of the final places they show up in the show is but in the World Between World episodes and the episode that precedes it, the wolf, two wolves and a door. So the Loth wolves show up in this sort of ancient mural and Mac, I know how much you love talking about this stuff. Why don't you take things over that involve this? the Mortis trilogy? I love You're it. Quite a fan. Um, so we see that there is this ancient stone carving mural. Um, and its primary look is that it shows the three figures we learned about in the Mortis trilogy, the father, the son, and the daughter. Um, and, uh, I could not explain how much elation I had when I'm like, oh my gosh, it really does exist. It's not just Anakin was tripping. It's totally a thing. Yeah. Um, and they were representative. And one of the things we start seeing is that they can animate, like it's a living connected to the force kind of thing. And once they start trying to interact with it, 
the wolves that are emblazoned around this mural, it's a very round kind of um, thing. Those wolves start running like they're in an old like uh, zoetrope, like starting moving around the out outside. And it seems like the wolves are showing this connection to cosmic forces. The idea that once they start running, that's when this start things starts going from being this uh, mural to a portal to the world between worlds, which is one of the most mystic places we've ever been in Star Wars. Certainly up there between that and the world of Mortis. Yes. I mean, it's up there. Um, I mean, the world between worlds is an incredibly interesting thing that we've talked about at length on this show before, and it doesn't directly involve the Lothwolves, but the fact that they're on the portal, the fact that they're on this mural certainly points to them being, like you said, an agent of the force. It seems like what they're going with is... Okay, pulling back just a second. So, Dave Filoni flipping loves wolves. That's why <laughs> wolves are in here. That's the that's the only real reason that wolves are at the seed of this existing is because Dave Filoni loves wolves, donates money to conservancies for wolves, thinks they're the greatest animals in the universe. Uh, all his friends are part of his wolf pack. He's very into wolves. But because of that, I feel this is very specifically drawing upon a lot of folklore around wolves as these beings that are between our world and another world, whether that's old bad superstitions of, you know, wolves are in league with bats and the devil and all that kind of stuff, because these things are not just of our world or more modern, more mystical things as like uh, elements of like vision quests and um, vigils and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that's more where we're seeing Ezra is just this fact that these wolves I would argue, as seen, I kind of interpret them as primordial avatars of the cosmic force. And they are guiding Ezra and stuff towards his destiny to be part of these cosmic events. Um, you know, the fact that he gets to save Ahsoka from death and the wolves are what sort of lead him there in in different levels of, of agency. Uh, the wolves definitely are what gets him there. Um, the fact that Kanan may or may not be coming back or speaking through or being echoed in a Loth Wolf. Um, the idea that these beings, like you said, can disappear. They're almost insubstantial uh, in some ways that doesn't seem like it should exist. But also the people of Lothal have folklore about them. They are the wolves of their world in the sense of farmers and stuff are kind of scared of them. I would also be scared of a wolf that's three to four times larger than our wolves, <laughs> which already our wolves can be scary. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. I've seen the gray. <laughs> um, but it, it really ties into these misunderstood animals that are both you know, these vicious hunters, but also these like very noble regal creatures at the exact same time. And that's why I think the interesting bit to me about them, especially connected to the mural and the door is, again, we're talking about the cosmic force, which the end, well, the original final season of Clone Wars uh, with the journey with Yoda sort of is establishing that the cosmic force is kind of above the paradigm of light side, dark side. It doesn't really have that sort of dichotomy because it has a broader view and i feel that showing those three figures of the father the daughter and the son and having them with these wolves which are also sort of representing that in a season where we also talked to the bendu this ancient creature that was telling canaan about getting out of that paradigm um it really sets up a a, a tapestry of 
the final seasons of Rebels starting to swing for the fences on the more philosophical, metaphysical kind of questions that are brought up by the Force and attaching it to even broader concepts than a good versus evil kind of simple religion. Why do Star Wars shows always cram their uh, really high concept stuff like this into the last few episodes of a show? Well, I think the reason is because when you get to this highfalutin stuff, you know you're going to lose people. So it's really good to know that your show is established and has the momentum to carry you through some weird stuff to get to the finish line and no one saying like, oh, I don't understand. Filler, no killer. Well, remember when The World Between Worlds came out? There was a lot of backlash at that episode. And I'm sure there still is. Well, there's a whole bunch of people like time travel in Star Wars. No, that's Star Trek garbage. And I go, it's both are garbage, but... (laughs) But I also think yeah. that I think it's two very different approaches, right? Star Trek has like a whole bunch of I used an intergalactic it to cause a temporal vortex that sent me back to the year 1996 or whatever. <laughs> Whereas over here in Star Wars, it's like, no, the doors of time can only be opened by the forces of destiny. And that there is always this mystical, unknowable, inscrutable plan that, that is occurring that mere mortals cannot have any privy to understanding. Only the wolves know about that plan. Well, to a degree, yeah. yeah. Only the beings that are connected to this force in a completely um, uh, sympathetic way. You know, like these wolves feel more like agents of the force than they feel like Jedi who are trying to interpret and understand it. They just are beings of it. Um and so the door within doors, I, I think people are like, well, you just go travel anywhere. I'm like, I think they really heavily established that. No, Ezra ended up at the door he had to because that was his destiny. Ahsoka never actually died in a broad view of things because she was always going to be saved for Ezra because that was always the destiny of those two characters. Um, Agreed. And so when you start looking at it through that way, it's a very different thing because it's it's continuing to double down on what Star Wars often has a mix of, which is sci-fantasy of it's more Arthurian legends kind of interpretation of time travel or things like that. It's much more mystical, philosophical magic than it is a technology or a repeatable thing you can do. You know, it's kind of like um, when, you know, when Arthur pulls the sword from the stone, you can't just put the stone back in there and it resets. Like, no, that sword was waiting for that person to come and it would only ever release for that guy. No, it's not about a piece of metal stuck in a rock. It's a mystical energy that was waiting for destiny to occur. Same with all of this stuff. Like the Loaf Wolves only start appearing to Ezra when Ezra has this sort of destiny about him, when his guidance is going to be needed because, you know, the Cosmic Force knows the Kanan's toast. Um, we we as audiences won't know for many episodes, but the, they know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that's what makes yeah. the wolves really interesting because it, it brings in again a th- I think a philosophical uh, I shouldn't say feel a spiritual motif that appears in a lot of world religions of the spirit at animal the the spirit guide and it gives Ezra one of those with this very powerful cultural motif and the cool thing about wolves is wolves basically exist in every culture um, because of you know the different species that exist on the world, almost every culture has legends about them. So it's kind of a fun cross-cultural thing to invoke because you have all these different groups with all these different folklore around them. 
And I don't think anyone thinks of wolves of like, oh, yeah, they're just dogs, but meaner. Like, no, <laughs> no, they, they always have this sort of like mythical, mystical, ethereal work around them. And the, the loath wolves are just sort of writing that large of like, but what if they were actually like the gatekeepers or the guides between the different worlds of reality? And it's a fun concept to play with in Star Wars. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the world between worlds and the idea of the wolves a little bit before. But essentially, something that is not understandable to us at this moment doesn't mean we won't get more uh, expansion on that or more answers in the future. So, you know, if this kind of thing is too, um, for lack of a better term, wishy-washy for you mm-hmm. or anything like that, hey, totally understandable if this is not the part of Star Wars you enjoy, but this sort of theoretical part of it is interesting, I think, especially for us. I think the biggest thing about the Loth Wolves is they bring up a lot of questions and they give you very few answers. Like, yeah. great example is, you watched it. It has blue eyes. It's bigger than the rest of them. It talks to to Ezra at length. It says its name is Kanan. Is it Kanan or is it not? And the answer is maybe. And I think one of the fun things about like Mortis and this stuff that makes me just so happy is it's asking it's asking a lot of really, really interesting questions and has no desire to give you answers. And just for the people who do find this, this is not their favorite part of Star Wars, I would mention, just remember, when you ask for more grounded scientific answers, you get answers like midi-chlorians. And I can accept that because it's still tied to the mystic stuff that I care about. But most people have a bigger problem with midi-chlorians than they do. Do we have time travel in Star Wars now? <laughs> um, so it's... It's really fascinating, and these these creatures give us a lot of interesting questions. And with the hopeful potential in the future of Star Wars, everyone's trying to line the stars of when is Ezra coming back and what is his journey like. I think now that we've seen Lothcats in live action, it's only a matter of time. It's inevitable now. <laughs> that we're going to see Loth Wolves. As long yeah. as Dave Filoni is still working for that company, there will be more wolves in Star Wars. It feels like wolves could be in the Ahsoka show. But I think we've said everything we can about what's happening with Lothals here in early 2022. Hopefully there'll be more, hopefully soon, but we'll find out together. But for right now, let's move on to something else. Another fun episode of Star Wars All In comes to a mystical, magical, wonderful end. Or does it? Perhaps we're in the world between worlds and this never <gasps> actually ends. Oh my god. It's tough to say what our destiny is, for the future is always in motion. Speaking of motion, spoiler alerts. Man, the last episode of Mando, right? Absolutely wild. I'm sorry. I don't know if you just Book said Mando Boba as a joker I, or not. I already said spoilers, so we're good. Okay, was it a joke though? I couldn't tell. I said it because I have realized that <laughs> this has taught me that... Book of Boba Fett is just that chapter of The Mandalorian. Spider-Man 2.5. I'm just going to say, unified field theory here. I've had this since the beginning of season two or so, I think. 
I still believe that the entire arc of this show is him becoming the Mandalore. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit before, and I think and it's now I'm just clarifying more and more that it, that's what's happening. And yeah. what I love so much is Book of Boba Fett is yes, we mean book like in the Bible book because yeah. this is the the poetic edda of Din Djarin reclaiming you know the Mandalorian people's like honor and stuff mm-hmm. and and teaching them a new way. Maybe I mean it's gonna be. As soon as the dark saber came up, we started discussing the possibilities, right? Yes. I don't think when season one of the Mandalorian started, no. either of us, you know, we're talking about the fact, oh, this is going to be the story of the Mandalore. No idea. As soon as we saw the dark saber at the end of season one, yes. we probably should have started assuming that's where it would go. But I still, you know, when we're three, four yep. episodes into season two, did not expect that to be the case. As soon as we come down to the end and Bo-Katan starts talking about, oh, our plan is to retake Mandalore. Like, okay, now maybe I can see that's where the story's going. And that's why you're starting off with this no-name Mandalorian character. And like, if that's where this show is going, I, I think that's a fantastic reason to tell this story and make this the first Star Wars story. Right. And then to just give us this curveball out of nowhere and answer so many questions and essentially kick off Mando season three in the middle of book of Boba Fett. It just is mind blowing. I think you've said it before. And I remember the first time you told me, I got real disappointed that Mando season three was like way further off and that you should just start accepting that this is basically your Mando season three for the year. Now I understand why. Cause I think Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett is all about this. I don't want to say side story, but like, hey, this is just fun and games in the galaxy. This isn't as load-bearing as when the Mando comes back for its fourth season or whatever, where this episode was fun. It was Din Djarin. We, it was such a great like celebration of his growth because it starts out with him doing the stuff we met him doing. I mean, there's no uh, ambiguity about the fact of, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. Like, he's literally playing out basically the exact same thing we saw at the beginning of the show, but we've seen that it has different meaning. It has a different vibe. He is trying, you know, he has a freaking dark saber now. He is doing this because he's trying to reconnect with um, a family. He wants to get back with the covert. And when the covert doesn't work, he's like, I only have one bead in the universe. I have a deep attachment to. And the second he gets a chance to work with Boba Fett, he's like, yes, that's a person who has been loyal to me and I'll be loyal to them. I'll, I don't need your money. This one's on the house. Yes, I will help anyone who's a friend of mine. I like having friends. It is such an exciting precipice to be on. You know, we're recording this. If you're listening to this, the day it launches, episode six of Book of Boba Fett came out today. So now we've all seen a little bit more about what this is turning into. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll all have a better handle on where things are headed. But boy, is it exciting to not know and to get yeah. such a curveball here right at the end of this show. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm a huge fan of the N1 fighter. I can't say enough yes. awesome things about the N1 being back prevalent in Star Wars. As fun as the updated modded hot run one is, I still have a soft spot for the yellow original. I still prefer Did that see, one, but I love it to death. My favorite I'm thing so is, into it. I've talked, I talked about because here worship, like Doug Chang, uh, posted on his Instagram, um, his original, which was the thing that got him the job of being the art director for episode one, which yeah. was the the N1s flying information in the yeah. clouds with the kind of pinky clouds. Yeah. 
And I love the fact that he designed this N1. Yeah. Like, he's like, oh, I ripped it apart and stripped it down and modded it and broke it. Like, it's okay for me to break it. It's mine. Yeah. It's my I toy to break. That. I didn't see that. You said that was on his Twitter? His Instagram. His Instagram. I... Yeah, he's he's got a fairly big following over on Instagram. Love that. I didn't see that. I'll have to go check that out. It's really good. Uh, what a great episode. And I think it sets up... I, I think the only thing I was mentioning to you uh, offhand, but I'll just put it in the record, like... I do think that I still stand by whether it was designed this way or fixed in the editing room. I think the major flaw with Book of Boba Fett was Boba Fett's motivations were too slow coming. Um, And I still think if you would have told that story in chronological order from the Tuscans right up to I need some muscle, if you would have told that purely chronological, you would have had a much better ramp to this because in your wildest dreams the, the other week, did you go... Oh, I need some muscle. Oh, credits can buy you muscle. Did you think that, oh, they mean Din? No. No. Not at all. I thought no. maybe he'd end up showing up, but like in a, hey, we called in some reinforcements at the last moment in episode seven. Yeah. Like definitely was not expecting 50 minutes with him. And yeah. like, we didn't see Boba Fett this whole episode. We nope. didn't see Boba Fett. What? Like never would I have put money on that's what was going to happen. Episode five. And the last thing I want to say about this episode that I think is such a great achievement is uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's great. She makes really good Star Wars. And I think what's really yeah. nice about this is it goes back to what I was saying before of like Mandalorian episodes in general have this beautiful serial movie quality of a beginning, a middle and an end. And you're left with not a cliffhanger, but an enticement to come back. You still have a rounded cathartic end to the story. Couldn't agree more. Um, Such great moments, such great character, humor, warmth. And it has reminded us so much of like, man, Dinja Jordan's come a long way. I really have known this character. And it just gets me really, really excited that I can read into a ocean of motivation i mean he's sitting there on the star cruiser looking out the window holding his jetpack by his side thinking about his religious guns that are down in some stupid crate because some <laughs> stupid droid made him do it along with the dark saber which that's probably too important to just be in his luggage his his uh you, you gotta that carry sh- that on that should be carry on right Did but you then, have- but wait he's looking out the window and he Sees that longing. He takes out the little bundle that's tied so it almost has ears. You know exactly what he's thinking of. And then right in front of him is a little kid looking over the seat, the little Rodian. And I'm just like, yes, give me the continuing adventures of Space Dad. It's so good. Yeah. And you know what's even better than normal adventures of Space Dad? Adventures of Sad Space Dad. <laughs> <laughs> We're all here for that. I hope he has the mustache back under that helmet, though. That really made him more dad-like. Well, and the cool thing about it is I, I'm i at the point where I'm, I I think after this episode, I am actually okay if they want to take his helmet off from time to time now because I thought they did such a great job of he's unintentionally exiled himself from his original people. I was shocked that that – so like when this episode, speaking of episode five of Book of Boba Fett, I was shocked that that's where they went was him trying to be like – redeeming himself like yes i'm going to go back to leaving the helmet on i thought he was going to be at a point of no i'm accepting myself for who i am let me prove to you that there are other ways and Mm -hmm. that you know maybe our way isn't the only way for mandalorians to live and thrive Mm -hmm. and i thought that's where that was going to go for so him to so quickly 
come back with all of his gross growth and personal change and to immediately just fall back in line under the armor and go like, I'm so sorry I messed up. How can I, you know, repay my debt? I mm, loved that. And it was so delicious. So this character has still not fully broken out of that mold. And season one and two showed us so much of him getting there. And I think we all kind of expected the end of season two with him taking his helmet off in front of Grogu to be the signaling of this character has changed. Now this character yes. is living like and, Bo-Katan and to show that he's still holding on to that probably because he doesn't have his sidekick partner. Now he's yes. going back to what he knew before the same way that they, you know, tie up that Han, uh, Han and Leia did. And, you know, the force, awakens and it's poetry it rhymes it's it's a very very well and the cool ugh. thing about this is if you follow sort of hero journey motifs and stuff this is the passing the threshold yeah this is him trying to go back to where he was you know the you know when he was just being a bounty hunter for the covert and yeah we it thought, doesn't and it doesn't work <laughs> we and thought that was episode three right after he dropped Krogo off with uh the client but yeah here we are. It's it's really, oh my gosh. But the cool thing about this, what I like is, I love that he has this internal quest to sort of redeem himself and put himself back in the ways of Mandalore. You know, he he loves Grogu, but even he is still looking at Grogu through his prism of like, I need a piece of things for the foundling. Yeah. Well, and gosh, wasn't that a great thing of like, Jedi must forgo all attachments. That's like the opposite of the way we live. Yes. <laughs> So you still want to make this stuff for the foundling, Grogu? Yes. Okay. Just as long as you know what you're doing here. Because I just told you, he can't be a Jedi and a Mandalorian. That's what I'm trying to say here. And I love Din's like, yeah. Maybe that Jedi stuff isn't cracked it up to me. Maybe he doesn't like it. Maybe they treat him poorly. I should go check in on him. It's funny that it's all happening so quickly, but it just gets me so excited for whatever the next season of The Mandalorian is. And what is I like is... This was what we thought it would be. I can't wait to see what we're going to see in just a couple of hours when we watch the show today. Um, yeah. But I, I, I'm very, very interested of like, you could either go completely deep, dig deeper into this. Or what I also, and maybe what I could also see is maybe we're all wrong. And the book of Boba Fett is not a one and done season. Maybe mm. this is, there'll be a part two. And maybe that's why we're having these episodes or maybe not. The cool thing is you could keep going with Din's story and I'm all on board. Or you can really now hard cut back to Boba Fett's story and how are we going to get these pikes off of Tatooine? And I'm all for that. Um, I love the fact that, like, regardless of what happens, I'm very excited to see what happens with Boba Fett's story. And I'm really excited to have that really, really good, warm feeling of having some shapes, some threads to pull on of, okay, I know where the Mandalorian's broader story is going as well. It's great. Completely agree. It is great. We're having a great time. Star Wars is great. It's a great time to be into Star Wars. But our time here is over. Because I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2022.